Hey, welcome to Faith on Hills online Sunday service. We gather every Sunday morning. 10.30 a.m. is the start time. There's a live stream on our website and our Facebook, and then the video is always available on our Facebook page. Uh, you just have to search Faith on Hill. You actually don't have to be on Facebook to get on our Facebook page. Also, uh, we have an audio version that is available on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. You just have to search Faith on Hill. It's actually available on SoundCloud, too, if you want. And then uh, finally, as far as things going on, we have small groups that meet throughout the week. Uh, Sunday mornings, Tuesday nights, Wednesday nights, we have an online small group. You can email smallgroups at faithonhill.com for more information. Our kids' ministry is Sunday mornings during service, and our youth group meets on Tuesday nights. We're going to continue studying the 10 least read books of the Bible. And this week, we're going to be studying the fifth fifth least read book of the Bible, the writings of the prophet Haggai. Let's study God's word together. Let's turn in our Bibles to the book of Haggai, chapter 1. It says, In the second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Sheltai, the governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Zodak, the high priest. This is what Yahweh Almighty says. These people, speaking of Israel, say the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai, it, is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house, speaking of the temple, remains a ruin? Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much but harvested little. You eat but never have enough. You drink but you never have your fill. You put on clothes but you're not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build my house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why, declares the Lord Almighty, because of my house, which remains a ruin. While each of you is busy with your own house, therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew and the earth its crops. So there's a drought and the, the crops aren't doing well. Verse 11, I called for a drought on the fields and the mountains, on the grains, on the new wine, the olive oil, and everything else that the ground produces on people and livestock and all the labor of your hands. Then Zerubbabel, son of Sheltiai, Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the whole remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord, their God, and the message of the prophet Haggai, because the Lord, their God, had sent him, and the people feared Yahweh. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave this message of the Lord to the people. I am with you, declares the Lord. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, son of Sheltiai, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, son of Jozak, the high priest, 
and the spirit of the whole remnant of the people, and they came and began to work on the house of the Lord Almighty, their God, on the 24th day of the sixth month. Haggai is the fifth least read book of the Bible. That means it's the middle, right? There are five books that people have read more on our list and five books that, or the people of, four books really, that people have read less. It takes place over a three to four month period. Chapter one, and then there is a pause, and then chapter two kind of is over this two to three month period that it plays out. It's, it's four urgent months in the life of Haggai. His ministry, he was used by God to bring the remnant of Judah, that is those who were still remaining in the promised land after the Babylonian captivity. This is all happening while Daniel is over in Babylon, and we studied all that last winter, uh, how the people were in captivity, and they're all over there, but there's a remnant that remains in Judah, in Jerusalem, and so Haggai is prophesying to them. And he leads them from this kind of apathetic place to a place of action. And he says, the time is now to build the temple. He says, the first message is, hey, the people are saying it's not yet time to rebuild the house of the Lord. Because there was a time where Israel was going to be in captivity, a 70-year period. And so the people are saying it's not yet time to rebuild the house of the Lord. But God says, no, it it is time. It's been time for a while. And verse 3 is the clarifying point. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? You might think, oh, this is the time when the pastor is going to give a message about tithing or giving. And I'm not afraid to give that message, but I don't think that's what this is mainly about. Nor is this some kind of statement against believers, followers of God having stuff. There was nothing wrong with them having a house. There was nothing wrong with them having a good house. Having a house that was warm and functioned and had enough room and all that stuff. Nothing wrong with that. The issue, the clarifying point is verse 4. While the temple remained in ruins, the time is now to build the temple. You see, in the New Testament, the Bible says that our bodies and our lives are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. The time is now to build up that temple. If you are not a Christian, if you do not have a saving faith in Jesus Christ, your body, your life is in ruins. It's it's just like what's being described here. And when we place our faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins, for the salvation of our souls, God the Holy Spirit comes in and baptizes us into Jesus' death and resurrection and we are then cleansed and forgiven and made right before God. But then there is a calling for us 
to grow. Jesus told his followers, go into all the world and make disciples of all people, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The call is for us to grow and become disciples, followers of Jesus Christ. A disciple isn't just a fan. It's somebody who says, that's what Jesus did. I'm going to do that. That's how Jesus acted. I want to act like that. The time is now to build up the temple for the Christian, the new covenant, New Testament believer. The temple is our lives, our bodies, the temple of the Holy Spirit. And he says in verse 5, this is God speaking to his people, give careful thought of your ways. He says that twice. He says it in verse 5. He says it in verse 7. Give careful thought to your ways. It is healthy for us to evaluate our lives from time to time. You know, we go for a physical, right? Once a year, you go in, you get your checkups. Uh, as you get older, you have to do more and more and more checkups and things. But the idea is that it's good every so often to take stock. How's my blood pressure? Uh, how's, my, how's my diet? How, how's my schedule? Is my stress good? Like, what's going on? All of these things are good to pause and evaluate and take stock. You know, we're coming up, we're, we're just a month away really from the holiday season. And as much fun, and I love the holidays, but really also there's a thing that happens kind of around Christmas to New Year's, you sort of say, take stock. Where did the year go? Where's the year going? And we take stock in these things and we say, where have we been? What's going on? It's healthy and it's right. And God's telling his people, give careful thought to your ways. Think about where you've been, what's been going on in your life. God's telling them that the, the struggles that they have had, the lack of harvest, the lack of stability, I'm even going to say the lack of financial success. And I, and I know that there is a trepidation or a hesitancy to talk about that in those terms because of people on TV or whatever, uh, you know, who, you know, God is here to bless you and he wants to speak blessing into your life. And uh, if you just believe hard enough and maybe give hard enough, then God will give you whatever you want. And we, we know that's nonsense, right? But there is an idea here that there is a financial element to their struggle. It's not hard to think. I mean, you think about how much money goes down the drain if somebody is caught in, in life-dominating sin. If you weren't caught in that life-dominating sin, how much more money would you have? Uh, and then there is sort of an intangible thing to this. We've, we've heard testimonies here in the church from people who did not have their financial house in order and did, did not give God control of their finances. And when they did, even though their income had not changed, even though like, you know, there wasn't some massive inheritance that came in, by doing that, those simple things of, of giving careful thought to their life and how they handled their finances, then they started to see they had more money in the bank at the end of the month. But it's not just money. There's time, there's energy, there's health. All of these things come together. Somebody said recently, and I can't remember who, I read this in an article, but somebody said recently that we give our bodies to the care of doctors and we give our minds to the care of psychologists and psychiatrists and mental health professionals. And I believe in that, by the way. If, if you need help, get help. I 
I'm so thankful for the mental health professionals in our community. So I'm, I'm all for that. I know that there have been times where Christians have been a little wary, um, but I, I am all for taking care of our mental health. So we give our physical health to doctors, we give our mental health to the psychology community, and then we give our spiritual health to the church or a pastor or something. But they're all linked. I, I believe that. There is a holistic component to all of this. That why am I, you know, why am I overeating? It maybe has more to do with my mental health than my physical health, and my physical health is suffering from it. Why is my, my mental situation struggling? Maybe it's a spiritual thing. Maybe there's a spiritual connection. I came into a trial or a trauma, and I did not have spiritual strength within me. And so then my, my mental and my physical health on their own weren't able to stand. And sometimes you come into a spiritual trial or trauma, but you haven't taken care of your physical or your mental being. Human beings are triune creatures. We are body, mind, and spirit. And if we haven't taken care of these other things, then our spirits get attacked, but we're not strong in these other things to kind of help withstand it. God says, give careful thought to your life. It's healthy to evaluate. From a physical side of things, you know, we eat right, be active, listen to our doctors, all of that. From a mental health sort of side of things, we want to do the things we need to do. From a spiritual side of things, it's fair to say, have I spiritually kept myself healthy? Do I, do I know God? Am I living an awareness of the presence of the Spirit of Christ in my life? Am I an active worshiper? And that doesn't mean a singer but an active worshiper? Am I an active student of God's word? Am I, am I active in prayer? You know, it's kind of like, uh, you know, friends of mine that, that lift weights and they talk about skipping leg day, right? Maybe you know every Bible verse and it doesn't matter because you're not living in the spirit of God through prayer. And so you know all this stuff, but you have no idea how to apply it. You skipped leg day. The idea is that now is the time to build the temple. Now is the time to grow. Now is the time to get strong spiritually as well as physically and mentally. You know, when 2020 hit, I had been working in 2019 on, on my health. And then I kind of fell off the wagon over the winter, right? And then COVID, and they talked about comorbidities with COVID. And I said, I got to get active and healthy because that's a real thing for somebody who's got my frame. And, and I think those are, are real things to say, hey, I can look around and say what's happening. It's no different in what's going on in our world. We are divided. We are angry. We are polarized. We need to get spiritually healthy and stay spiritually strong or else we would have a spiritual comorbidity. Now is the time to build the temple. So they did. They got together and they got working. And about a month passes. So they've been starting to build the temple. And it's a month now. And chapter 2, verse 1 says, In the second year of King Darius, on the 25th, or 21st day of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai, Speak to Zerubbabel, son of Sheltiai, the governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Josadak, the high priest, and the remnant of the people, 
So he's speaking to the political officials, the spiritual leaders, and to the people at large. This is a a message with multiple audiences. Ask them, verse 3, who of you is left who saw this temple in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it seem like nothing? But now be strong, Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, Joshua, the son of Josedach. This high priest, be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord, and work, for I am with you, declares the Lord. This is what I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt. My spirit remains among you. Do not fear. This is what the Lord Almighty says. In a little while, I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake all the nations, and what is desired by nations will come. I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord. The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house. Speaking of the temple that Solomon built, the son of King David, that he built that was destroyed by the Babylonians. And in this place, I will grant peace, declares the Lord. So in chapter one, he was saying the time is now to build the temple. And here in chapter 2, he's saying the time is now to see God work. Why does he say, which one of you is still alive who remembers the old temple? Ezra, chapter 3, verse 12, which didn't happen at the same time. It happened a few decades later, actually. But uh, Ezra, chapter 3, verse 12, says this, But many of the older priests, Levites, and other leaders who had seen the first temple wept aloud. You know, maybe they had been a young child and they had been, you know, four, five, six years old when the temple was destroyed, but they remembered the temple in their former glory. And when they see this new temple being built, which I would imagine was very basic, was very utilitarian, and they began to weep out loud. I guarantee something like that is happening now. As they are building the new temple, there are those who are negative. There are those who are saying, why are we even bothering? It's not as good as the old temple. When we are, have a sense of urgency, and remember, that's what Haggai did. His ministry brought the people from a place of apathy to action. And when we have that urgent sense of what God is doing, we don't look to the past. We look with forward vision to what God is doing. There are times where it's appropriate to deal with the past. There are times where it is necessary to come to grips and say, hey, what's going on in my life? Nehemiah chapter 8, they bring, they find the scrolls of the law. So they had actually lost part of the Bible. It was, it was in Jerusalem and they found it and they brought it out and they read it before all the people. And the people said, hey, oh my goodness, God wants us to do that? Ooh, our bad. Uh, we haven't been doing that. And they needed to deal with the past. And that's totally valid. Maybe there is a past sin, a past trauma, a past hurt 
that you have just been letting fester, you've been ignoring, it's, it's like it's there, but you have, haven't come to terms with it. There's times to come to terms with those things. There's times to say, hey, what, where have I been? What's been going on? But that's not what's happening here. What's happening here is that their past isn't the issue. It's that God is building them forward. But they can't get over their past. They're prisoners of it. That's what's the message of Haggai too, is not to get stuck in the past. Let me give you an example here. America, America has a history of revivals. We talked about this a few weeks ago. Depending on who you ask, America has either experienced four, five, or six revivals. It just depends on who you ask. I tend to think it's six. Most people think it's five. And then there's a few negatives that, uh, you know, people with negative vibes going on that are like, oh, it's only four. Doesn't matter. The point is they look different from one to another. And I guarantee, one of the things I have found interesting in the last several years, for whatever reason, I have read the writings of people writing in the 1950s and the early 1960s who long for a revival, a move of God's Spirit, something to happen in the lives and the hearts of people in America. And as I read these writers from the late 50s to the early 60s who are writing about this, what they describe as their vision for what revival would look like is not what that revival actually looked like. And somewhere between 1967, 68 and 1975, 76, depending, again, it's all kind of depends on who you ask. There was a revival in America on the West Coast especially, but also in Texas and in New York and other places, God was moving. God was active. And he was, he was doing stuff. Now, I'm not saying he's not moving and active today, but there was something unique and special happening. But it didn't look like what these guys writing 10 years earlier said it would look like. Why? Because those guys thought it would look like something from the past, not the future. Maybe there was some extreme experience, a holy experience, a divine experience that you had in your life 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, 50 years ago. And praise the Lord for it. But what if the work God wants to do today is different and looks different and we become prisoners of the past. What God's doing today in your life is not going to look the same as what he did in the life of somebody who came before you. What God's doing in our church today is going to look different than what he's done in the past. But we become prisoners of the past and we say it has to look like this. And if it doesn't, then instead of rejoicing because God is rebuilding our people, even though we were conquered and brought into exile, instead of rejoicing over that, we weep because we want something different. The time is now to see God's work. What is God doing today? 
I grew up in a church that was founded in that last American revival. And over the years, I would hear people of my parents' generation say, if only we could go back to what God was doing in the 1970s. And when you hear them say about how God had worked in their life, there didn't seem to be a story that existed past like 1989, 1991. It, it all seemed to be somewhere in the past. Instead of saying, what is God doing today? God has done amazing things in my life. God's worked in my life in incredible ways in 1996, in 1998, in 2001. But God's still working in my life today in 2021. And he's working in your life. And we can see and rejoice in the work that God is doing. And because we are actively building up the temple of our lives and our spirit for his service, we can rejoice in whatever God is doing. The time is now to build the temple. The time is now to see God's work. And finally, the time is now for God's power. Verse 10 says, On the 24th day of the ninth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Haggai. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Ask the priest what the law says. If someone carries consecrated meat in the folds of their garment and that fold touches some bread or stew, does the wine or some wine or olive oil or other food, does it become consecrated? And the priest answered, no. Then Haggai said, if a person is defiled by contact with a dead body, and what touches one of these things, does it become defiled? And the priest answered, yes, it becomes defiled. Then Haggai said, this is what the people in this nation, uh, so it is with this people in this nation in my sight, declares the Lord. When uh, whatever they do and whatever they offer is now defiled. They now give careful thought to this from this day on. Remember, God is again saying, give examination to your life. Consider how things were before one stone was laid on another in the Lord's temple. When anyone came to a heap of 20 measures, there were only 10. When anyone went to a wine vat and drew 50 measures, there were only 20. I struck all the work of your hands with blight, mildew, and hail, yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. From this day on, from the 24th day of the ninth month, give careful thought to the day when the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid. Give careful thought. Is there yet any seed left in the barn? Until now, the vine and the fig tree, the pomegranate and the olive tree have not borne fruit. But from this day on, I will bless you. Then the word of the Lord came to Haggai a second time on the 24th day of the, of the month. Tell Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, I am going to shake the heavens and the earth. I will overturn royal thrones and shatter the power of foreign kingdoms. I will overthrow chariots and their drivers. Horses and their riders will fall, each by the sword of his brother. On that day, declares the Lord Almighty, I will take you, my servant Zerubbabel, son of Sheltii, declares the Lord, and I will make you like my signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord Almighty. The time is now to build the temple. The time is now to see God's work. And finally, the time is now for God's power. The time is now for God's power. Verse 10 through 14, Haggai gives sort of a uh, cleanliness, a sanitation, a food safety lesson. He is saying, hey, if you have a piece of meat and it's consecrated, meaning um, 
it's maybe it's being used for like the sacrifices or something like that, a temple service. It's consecrated meat. But then let's say that that meat touches other food, a piece of bread, some olive oil, some uh, something else, you know. Is that food holy? And the priests say, no, it's not. But then he says, hey, if you touched a dead body and you're now ceremonially unclean, and then you go and you touch something else, is that thing also defiled? And the priests say, yes, it is. And that's a public health lesson. The other day we went to Costco and we got uh, the best deal at Costco is their, is their two pack of whole fryer chickens. And so we got those, um, you roast them up in the oven and then you got, you know, food, food for a week and it's, it's way cheaper than anything else. And uh, if you want my recipes, you can, you can ask me. But we got home and we found at the bottom of the cardboard box that they had put everything in that chicken juice had gotten out. They had, uh, there'd been a leak in the packaging and chicken juice had gotten out and spread all over the bottom of the box. And it was now touching my, my bag of coffee beans and it was touching this bag of, of broccoli that we had. And it was, you know, all these things were being touched by the chicken juice. the chicken juice defiled those things. I had to clean them off. I had to disinfect them. I had to sanitize them, right? But the cleanliness of that bag of coffee did not sanitize the salmonella-filled chicken juice, right? That's the, that's the lesson that Haggai is trying to get across to the people. What he is saying is, hey, Remember how it was before you started work on the temple. In the first chapter, God sent a message to the people. The reason that you are struggling economically, agriculturally, all of these things, the reason that you're struggling is because you haven't cared about me and you haven't cared about following after God and his, his holiness and his glory and his power and his majesty. And now they are doing it. And he says, look, things have gotten better. But this is a warning a warning to the people because God's saying, hey, you guys are building the temple and that's great and it looks good on the outside, but God is seeing what's going on on the inside of the people. And there is sin hidden among the people and God's saying it's time for that to be cleansed. It's time for that to be washed away. When we become Christians, Jesus, his death and resurrection, the punishment for our sins were, was taken by him on the cross and all of our sins are washed away before God. We stand righteous before God. That's called justification. But you see, there's still all the problems of me. And we begin this process called sanctification where we're set apart. We're made holy before God. We become more and more and more like Jesus. We're filled more and more with the love of God. And if all that I'm doing is touching defiled things, then I'm going to be spreading that in my life. If I'm allowing God's spirit to fill me, then first of all, I'm not going to touch the defiled things, but also that will bring cleansing. Now you might think, oh, the defiled things. Like it's, it's like you think, okay, Chapter one, he's talking about building the temple, so he's going to talk about giving. Chapter two, he's talking about the defiled things. He's going to say, hey, don't, you know, don't do drugs, don't look at porn or whatever. 
don't look at porn and don't do drugs. Yes. But I think it's bigger than that. Some people, and, and I know this because I'm having conversations with people, some people need to turn off their news feeds because it's just generating anger and hostility, bitterness, resentment. That's not the Holy Spirit. That's not the love of God. Some people need to listen more. Some people need to give themselves in an act of obedience. Uh, you know, baptism doesn't save us. Baptism just, you know, is an outward symbol of what God's done. But it's amazing how many Christians, not, not in our church, although I'm sure that's true, but across America, how many Christians I've met who have not been baptized. And I think the reason is twofold. Just from talking to people, this is all conversational experience, that the reason is partially that there is some pride that's saying, I don't have to do that. And there's also some hesitancy to fully commit. If I do that, then I will be fully committing to Jesus. I didn't think that when I got baptized. I just thought that's what we're supposed to do. I did it. For me, the issues that were holding me back from full commitment, the issues that were holding me back from full obedience were different. But for some people, that's the issue. And I'm just bringing it up as an example. What, what God is saying to the people through Haggai is, you guys, your life was a mess because you didn't have things in order and you weren't putting God first in your life. He's saying, now watch out because if you think that you being the people of God will allow you to touch the defiled things, it won't. We need the power of God that comes through the work of God, the Holy Spirit, in our lives. How do you get it? Ask. Oh, Lord, fill me today with your Holy Spirit. I need the power that comes from you. Otherwise, I'm not going to make it. And God wants to work. How does it happen? Verses 20 through 23, God speaks directly to Zerubbabel. Now, Zerubbabel was the governor of Judah, but he was a descendant of King David, meaning he had a right to lay claim to the throne of Israel, yet he did not. From the Babylonian captivity to this present day, no descendant of David has claimed the throne of Israel. I believe that the primary thing being talked about in these verses is not Zerubbabel. It's Jesus Christ, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Son of David, the Messiah, the true King. If I want to see the power of God, it's not in a person. It's not in Zerubbabel. It's not in me. It's in Jesus now, verse 19, he says, hey, from this day on, I'm going to bless you. And then in verse 23, God says, on that day, I will take you, my servant, declares the Lord, and I will make you like my signet ring, for I have chosen you. We don't have time to talk about what a signet ring is. But the point is that as the power of God is moving through our lives, we build up the temple. We, we get about looking forward to what is God doing here today, right now. 
I believe we live in blessing and purpose. We live within the purposes of God for our lives, and that brings blessing. God's goodness doesn't change if we screw up, but some Christians seem to just think that it doesn't matter. I'll just keep screwing up, and God will keep loving me. Instead of living in the blessing and the joy and the peace that comes from fully surrendering ourselves to Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, but I would much rather live a quiet, peaceful life than one that is full of of all kinds of storm and trial and everything else. All of this shaking up the thrones and all this, it wasn't Zerubbabel. God wasn't going to use Zerubbabel to shake up the world. But he had a purpose for Zerubbabel. I can't prove this, but if I had to guess, God has a purpose for Zerubbabel still. When, when Jesus returns and sets up his kingdom and we're all there with him, I believe Zerubbabel will be there and God will have a purpose for him. But we live right now in this moment and we have an opportunity to say, Lord, have I been building my own house or have I been building your temple? Okay, do I have that in order? Then I can work on my life and I can, you know, we, all those things are fine. It's nothing wrong with having a house or, or, you know, having a hobby or anything like that. But do I have things in order? Do I have my vision set? Am I looking forward or am I looking in the past? And then finally, am I living in power? Am I touching the defiled things or am I living in the cleansing power that comes through the work of God, the Holy Spirit? That's the message of Haggai. That was the message of Haggai to the governor, to the high priest, and to the people, and I believe that is the message still for us today. Let's pray together and see how God would work in our hearts. Well, now that we have heard from God's word, I, I, I know I say this every week, but I really believe that it is on us to respond and to ask and to pray. If you are a believer and you say, I know I have faith, but I don't know if I've ever been baptized with the Holy Spirit. You're not the first to have said that. In fact, uh, there are times in the book of Acts where they would come and they would meet believers and they would say, hey, have you been baptized with the Holy Spirit? And they say, yeah, we, we don't know. Uh, we'd like to be. <laughs> this is an opportunity to ask. If you are not a believer, if you don't know for sure that you have a saving faith, Ask. I believe that God will confirm to you if you genuinely have a saving faith. And finally, you know, we said it's good to examine our lives. So we're going to enter a time of examination through prayer. So would you join me in prayer? And feel free to use that pause button. And if you just need to pray over things for longer and then you can unpause and keep going with us, that's totally fine. Let's pray together. Father, I first pray for any who do not know if they are a Christian. I pray that you would speak to them, that whatever they call out or cry out to you, you would respond and let them know the great love of God for them and the power, the saving power of Jesus Christ. And if that's you, wherever you're at, just cry out to God, say what is in your heart. Lord, I pray for any Christian who needs the Holy Spirit for the first time or for the thousandth time. We need you, God. I pray right now that you would fill me 
again fresh with your Holy Spirit. I remember the first time I, I could say that I had the baptism of the Holy Spirit when I was 14, and now I'm almost 40, and I want that same power, and I want more of it. Would you do that work? Lord, finally, we look over and examine our lives, how we schedule our week, how we devote our time, how we uh, spend our, our energy and our resources. Lord, would you show us how you would have us live? Lord, we're thinking about all of the things that have gone on in the previous week, all of the good and the bad, the things that we felt, the emotions we've experienced and processed. Lord, we thank you for the good, and whatever's been bad in this week, we place before you and trust you with. And for this week ahead, we ask that you would lead us as we go into November. Lord, I pray that you would lead us forward in your power and on your mission to be a witness of Jesus and to make disciples. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. And we'll see you again. Uh, we have small groups throughout the week. And we'll be back together next Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m.